Good morning. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Proverbs 18, 24. Please pray with me. O gracious Father, we thank you for the blessed occasion of the gathering of your people. We thank you for the communion of saints. Father, we thank you for gathering us. And Father, we pray that you'd be with us. Your son's promise that when we gather in his name that you will be with us. Oh, Father, honor your word. Encourage, enlighten, edify your people. Oh, Father, glorify your son Jesus in our midst. We pray in his name, in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Please open your Bibles to the fourth gospel, chapter 15. The Gospel according to St. John, the Beloved, chapter 15. Please stand with me for the reading of Holy Scripture. If you will, look there to verse 9. Our Savior said, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life, For his friends, ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, He may give it you. These things I command you, that you love one another. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of Holy Scripture. You may be seated. It is one of the great wonders of the Christian religion that the Lord... Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, would deign to call men His friends. Certainly, that is a wonder. But, oh, how much more of a wonder it is for us who are the objects of His friendship. How much more for us, we who have understood that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is God incarnate. Jesus is God in human flesh. And He has called us 
his disciples, friends, friends. My brothers and sisters in Christ, listen, if that doesn't make our hearts swell with gratitude, we haven't understood it. The Greek term translated friends in our English Bibles is philous. It's the plural of philous, and it means friend. When we speak of filial love, or we speak of Philadelphia, you know, the city of brotherly love, we're reaching back to that ancient Greek term for friendship. So here, in the text that we just read, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ looks at His beloved disciples and He tells them, from now on, I'm not calling you servants. From now on, I'm calling you friends. What a wonder. What a wonder. I'm sure you know the phenomenon of human friendship is one of the great blessings in this life. And friendship is found throughout the Bible. If you were schooled in the Bible stories in your youth, and I hope you were, you'll recall some great biblical friendships. Let's remember some of them together. Abraham and Lot. Lot was Abraham's nephew. But Lot was also Abraham's friend. And you remember how that great and godly patriarch Abraham humbled himself in giving Lot the better portion of land? Or what Lot thought was going to be the better portion of the land? What about Ruth? And Naomi, do you remember that? That great friendship, a friendship that seems most unusual to us because it was a friendship between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. Fast friends. You remember that speech that Ruth made to Naomi? Or entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee? Remember that? We often hear that in the context of weddings. But in the text there, it was an it indication of deep friendship. You may recall that there was a friendship between Samuel, the great prophet of God, and Israel's first human king, Saul. They were friends. So deep was the friendship that at one point God chides Samuel because of his extended mourning over Saul's failures and God's rejection of him. God tells Samuel, I have rejected him. And of course, one of those greatest Old Testament friendships was the friendship of David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. In the narrative of their friendship, we find tender descriptions that will cause the heart of any sensitive soul to yearn for friendship. I wish I had a friend like that. It's in the description of their friendship that we read, the soul of Jonathan was knit 
knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Like yarn woven together into a sweater, hearts knit together in love. Got a friend like that? The man after God's own heart may have been a bloody man, a mighty man of valor, but the Scriptures also indicate that David was a friendly man. There was a close friendship between David and the priest Abiathar. The Scriptures tell us that David befriended Hanan, the son of Nahash, because of David's prior friendship with his daddy. Then said David, I will show kindness unto Hanan, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness unto me. 2 Samuel 10.2 That's a blessed thing. I've experienced it. Men that befriended me because they knew and loved my daddy. What a blessing. Why are you being friendly to me? I don't even know you. I know your daddy. When Solomon got ready to build the temple, he found a friend in Hiram. Remember that? Why did Hiram send him all those cedars? Oh, I was friends with your daddy, with David. I'll give you anything you need. I'll help you out. It's a magnificent thing. The Scriptures list several other friends of David. But do you remember these? Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Or Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? Remember how those friends stood together in defiance of the government when the law of man contradicted the law of God? You remember how those friends stood together? They wouldn't bend, they wouldn't bow, they wouldn't burn. And in the New Testament, wow, do you remember Mary and Martha and Lazarus? Those special friends of Jesus? I'm going to stay at your house when I'm in town. I'm looking forward to it. Friends, Remember Dr. Luke and Theophilus? Acts 1.1, Bill? According to the good doctor, it was on account of their friendship that we have Luke's gospel record and the book Acts. I'm writing this down for you, friend. Remember Paul and his nephew? And Paul and Priscilla and Aquila? And Paul and Silas, and Paul and Barnabas, and Paul and Philemon, and Paul and Onesimus, and Paul and Timothy, and Paul and Titus, and Paul and Epaphroditus. The Apostle Paul was a friendly apostle. There are many, many more biblical friendships. Those are just a few But listen, these great biblical friendships, they confirm to us that the phenomenon of human friendship surely is one of the greatest things in this life. 
That giant in the history of thought, Aristotle, says, without friends, no one would choose to live. And Aristotle beautifully describes friendship as two souls inhabiting one body. What a beautiful idea. Among the ancients, Aristotle is one who studied and philosophized about friendship quite a bit. Around 330 B.C., he gave a series of lectures in the Lyceum in Athens. And the subject of his lectures was how to live a good life. Man, I would like to attend that. And notes from the lectures are recorded in his Nicomian Ethics. And about 20% of that book is dedicated to the subject of friendship. He considered it important. We're not going to study Aristotelian friendship to any depth this morning. But I will tell you that Aristotle separates among different types of friendships. And his, his delineation is quite interesting. He divides friendships into three types. Listen. He speaks of friendships that are based on utility or use, of friendships that are based on pleasure, and of friendships that are based on excellence or the good. And he considers that latter friendship, the friendship based on excellence or goodness, to be the highest sort of friendship. And listen, hopefully all of us have experienced such friendships. You know, the friendship based on utility or use, it's a type of friendship that often occurs when people work together. It's a friendship with people who work together. I hope that you are friendly with your coworkers. I can guarantee you this, to be unfriendly with your co-workers will make your life um, unpleasant. Over the years, I've had several friendships develop with different co-workers. And those friendships can be deep and meaningful. But what happens when you change jobs? Or what happens to those friendships when that co-worker moves away? And as I said, I've, I've had several of those friendships, but most of them fade quickly when working together ends. I still may have them on LinkedIn, but I can remember your first name, but I can't remember your last name. I worked with you for six years, every day. Hmm. And I may speak to that old friend on rare occasions, but it's not anything like it was back when we worked together. You've experienced this. Then that, that friendship was based on utility and with the dis- disappearance of that ground for the friendship, the friendship breaks up because it was the utility that kept it alive. Then Aristotle speaks of friendship based on pleasure. And you all know about this. Often our childhood friendships were of this type. We played together. Can Johnny come out and play? Johnny is my best friend. We were playmates. We played together. We had mutual pleasure. We enjoyed being with each other. 
Some of you play golf. I don't understand that. But some of you play golf. So you may develop a friendship with a golf buddy. Or a hunting buddy. Or a fishing friend. And the basis of that friendship is something that you mutually enjoy. It's a friendship based on pleasure. Man, I have great time every time I'm with him because we go fishing. You're united over some activity that you both enjoy. And a friendship like that may persist after a job ends because it's not based on utility. It's based on pleasure. I never have worked with him, but we've been fishing together ever since I was 17. You play together, so you stay together. But then finally, Aristotle speaks of what he considers the highest type of friendship. And to him, that's the friendship based on goodness, virtue, or excellence. And according to Aristotle, only the friendship of those who are good and similar in their goodness is a perfect friendship. He says, these people each alike wish good for the other, and they are good in themselves. He said, he says, it is those who desire the good of their friends for the friend's sake that are most truly friends, because each loves the other for what he is, and not for any incidental quality. Accordingly, the friendship of such men lasts so long as they remain good. And goodness is an enduring quality. Now, you know that Aristotle was not a Christian. He was a smart dude, though. We could critique him on many, many points. Most obviously right here, we could, would be our suspicion of his idea of human goodness. But listen, there are some good ideas here. There, there are some good ideas here, and certainly you have probably experienced the type of friendships that he mentions. Friendships of utility, friendships of pleasure. But what about us, brethren? What does this have to do with us? Well, listen, listen. I submit to you that the friendships, listen, I submit to you that the friendships of Christians that Christians have with other Christians because they're Christians must fall into Aristotle's highest category. Because friendships among Christians are based upon the good, the excellent, the beautiful. Isn't that true? We are very different. Sometimes I hear y'all talking about stuff and I'm like, why would they waste their breath on that? Not interested at all. But we do have a common interest, my friend. Don't we? Don't we? In Proverbs 27, 19, the wise man writes, As in water face answereth to face, so the heart of man to man. In Romans 8, 15 through 17, I read, You have not received the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, 
Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Listen, the Bible teaches that in Christ, in Jesus, we are united. You and me, friend, in Jesus, we are united at a level which no other human relationship can unite us. Not utility, not pleasure, something even higher, deeper. In Christ, the Bible teaches, we're united at some spiritual level. Though we might have blood in common with our earthly family, surely we do, Though we might have interests or work or pleasures in common with our earthly friends. Listen, we have something eternal, immutable, and incorruptible in common with the saints of God. Don't we? Don't we? The very presence of God within us. Listen. Because of our union with Christ, we are, according to Paul, children of God. And because we're children, we're heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And this common union which we share produces a foundation for friendship, for friendship, a commonality which the world can't understand. And brothers and sisters, the world can't understand it because the world hasn't partaken of it. You know, war has broken out in the East, and I'm praying about it. And I'm praying because uh, there are Christians in one country and there are Christians in the other country I'm praying for both of them I don't even know them but they're brothers and sisters and I'm praying for them one of the effects of this spiritual union that we have with other Christians the spiritual unity because of our common union with Jesus with Christ One of the side effects of that union is friendship. In John 13, 35, Jesus told His disciples, By this shall all men know that you are My disciples. You know the rest of it? If you have love one to another, how are they going to know? They'll know by this. If you love one another, they'll know. They'll know. And brothers and sisters, listen, by way of exhortation this morning, let's step away from what is for a minute and speak of what ought to be. Christians, listen, Christians ought to be friendly people. Someone should say amen. 
And Christians ought to be the most friendly to other Christians. And I know that we struggle with our flesh and the old nature is strong. But hear me, beloved, if we are not a friendly people, if we are not a friendly people, we had better examine ourselves whether we be in the faith. If I meet someone who tells me you're a Christian and they're mean, I doubt it. I, I, I won't say no, but... Remember those little games we played as a child? Which of these things does not go together? Our Lord spoke to a group of Pharisees and lawyers. And He said, John the Baptist came neither eating or drinking wine. And you said, He has a devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you said, Behold a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. Luke 7, 33-35. Oh, thanks and praise be to our God, because He befriendeth sinners. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Well, listen, brethren, we're Christians. We're Christians. And though we may stumble, though we may be overtaken by a fault, we we are not properly described by that word, sinners. Are you listening? The Apostle John teaches, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So I'm not saying that we are sinless. And if you think so, you've deceived yourself. So that's not what I'm saying. (laughs) We, more than any, are conscious of our sins. What I'm saying is that it is improper for you and me to think of ourselves as sinners. Anymore. Listen to me. Sinners commit sin. They live in it like a fish lives in water. Sin surrounds them and they live in it and walk in it and enjoy it. But it is not so with the saints of God. They slip, they fall, they sin. But they are not properly called. Sinners. When Almighty God birthed us into His kingdom, He made us to be partakers of His divine nature. He gave us of Himself. And brothers and sisters, we have God in us. Right? When we tell our little children, when they ask us, what does it mean to be a Christian? And we say, well, to be a Christian is to have Jesus in your heart. Isn't that just language that a little child can understand to talk about this great doctrine of the indwelling of the third person of the Holy Trinity, of the Holy Spirit of God indwelling the temples of the bodies of His people? Friend, Christians have God in them. 
That's why whenever they gather together, the scriptural picture is it's like stones. Can you imagine stones gathering together to be built up into a house, into a temple? That's the scriptural picture. You are a brick or a building block. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. We're the house of God. Friends, what used to be natural to us, listen, sin, it's now unnatural. For a Christian, listen, to sin, for a Christian to sin, that's an unnatural act. Now they do it. I could say it's a crime against nature. Sin is utterly atrocious to the Christian. It's incongruent. It should not be. It's abominable. It's wrong. And listen, if you see this, then, you, then you'll know how Paul can so passionately exhort the Romans, mortify the deeds of the flesh. In other words, kill it. Kill your old nature. And live in accordance with the new nature, which is the nature of God. So, Bill, I like that hymn, Only a Sinner Saved by Grace. I like it, but I'm not sure that I totally agree with the chorus. The chorus says, Only a Sinner Saved by Grace. I understand what the writer means. My point is that when a sinner has been saved by the free grace of an almighty Savior, he is no longer only a sinner. He's a saint. Saints may sin, but they are rightly described as saints, not as sinners. Listen, what a wonderful thing when Jesus our Savior befriends sinners. You and I aren't sinners anymore. That's not a good word to describe us. We may slip and sin. We do. We don't deny it. But certainly that's not the rule of our lives. So what about us and our friendship with God? In the epistle from James, the apostle tells us that the patriarch Abraham was, quote, the friend of God. James' Greek here is exactly the same term that Jesus used when he described his disciples as friends in John 15. We today may refer to Abraham, the father of the faithful, as the friend of God. In Isaiah 41, 18, Almighty God refers to Abraham as Abraham, comma, my friend. Wow. Even today, among the Arab Muslims, and, and remember, they are just as much ethnically the sons of Abraham as the Jews are, Among them, it's common for them to refer to Abraham as Khalil Allah, the friend of God. Or more briefly as El Khalil, the friend, the friend. 
In Exodus 31 or 33, 11, we read, Jehovah spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh to his friend. Wow. Now, we know that Moses couldn't look on God and live. So this, this must mean that God spoke to Moses in some friendly way. Abraham and Moses were friends of Almighty God. And earlier we noted the friendliness of David, and we noted how many of David's friendships are chronicled in the books of the Kings. But listen, David was not only a friend to men, David was a friend of God as well. When the prophet Samuel informed Saul that God would not allow Saul to continue as the king over God's people, Samuel tells Saul, the Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be the captain over his people. 1 Samuel 13, 14. Abraham, Moses, and David, all friends of God. And there were others. But, but listen, brethren, what would it mean? What would it mean to be the friend of God? Well, I believe that to be the friend of God would mean that you have the benefits of friendship. And you would have the benefits of friendship not from a man or a woman. You would have the benefits of friendship from Almighty God. I'm telling you, I don't know what could be better. Listen, God will save those whom He loves. Let me tell you something, friend. God takes care of His friends. Let me tell you a little story. I've told it to you before, but you can hear it again. Years ago, that my, pop, my papa told me, one of his good friends was reading a Bible story from that book, Judges, to his sons when they were young boys. And he was reading to them about the great judge Ehud. You remember how Ehud delivered Israel? If you don't remember, I'll I'll remind you. It's a great, especially if you were a little boy. Oh, this was a good one. In the story of the judge Ehud, the Bible tells how the children of Israel were enslaved to a Moabite king named Eglon, And God raised up a left-handed man, Ehud, to be a judge, a deliverer of his people. Now, Ehud crafted a custom-made double-edged dagger about 18 inches long. And he hid it by strapping it to his thigh under his clothes. And the Bible also tells us that Eglon, this king, was a very fat man. And Ehud came and said, I've brought a special present from the Israelites. 
Only you can see it. I'm on a secret mission with this present. Well, he gave him the present. And he told Eglon, I have a message no one else can hear. So Eglon sends everyone else out. And they close the door. And just listen, this is from Judges chapter 3. And Ehud came unto him, and he was sitting in the summer parlor, which he had for himself alone. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he rose out of his seat. And Ehud put forth his left hand, and he took the dagger from his right thigh, and he thrust it into his belly. And the haft went in after the blade. He stuck him hard. And the fat closed on the blade, so he could not draw the dagger back out of his belly. And the old King James says, and the dirt ran out. Then Ehud went forth through the porch and shut the doors of the parlor upon him and locked the doors. And when he was gone, the servants came, but they saw that the doors of the parlor were locked, and they said, Surely the king covers his feet in the summer parlor. Shh, he's taking a nap or something. And they tarried until they were ashamed. And behold, he opened not the doors of the parlor. Therefore they took a key and opened them. And behold, their Lord was fallen down dead upon the earth. And Ehud escaped while they tarried and passed beyond the quarries and escaped unto Syrioth. Oh, Jonathan, that was one of my favorites when I was a boy. But my papa told me that his friend who read that to his little boys, when he finished reading the story, he said, Boys, did you learn anything from that story? And they thought for a minute, and one of them said, Daddy, if God's on your side, you can get away with anything. (laughs) Now, that's funny. It's a a humorous story, but listen, brethren, (laughs) there's some great truth there. If God be for us, who can be against us? That's Paul's rhetorical question. And the answer is no one. No one. If God is on your side, you can get away with anything. Listen, God ain't on your side. You need to get on his side. You understand? Beloved, listen. (laughs) When you read your Bible, you don't have to read very far or very deeply to find the faults in the saints. Do you? Abraham lied. Moses struck the rock. Uh, David's sins were many. And they're recorded for all to read. But beloved, listen. These saints were friends of God. And they are safe in the arms of the Almighty. I'm telling you, God takes care of His friends. Though they sinned, God has not blotted out their names from His book. No, He blotted out something else 
He blotted out their sins from his book. Beloved, listen, to be the friend of God is a very desirable thing. In one of the chapters of his Nicomachean Ethics, Aristotle discusses the friendships among those that are not equal. And the specific examples he uses are friendships between parents and children and the possibility of friendship with God. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Aristotle was no Christian, and he was speaking not of Jehovah, but of a philosophical conception of God. But brethren, listen, Aristotle's philosophical conception of God is more powerful than the God that most Armenians describe. Aristotle was skeptical of the possibility of a man having a friendship with God primarily because of the great difference between man and God. Because of divine transcendence. He was suspicious that it was even a possibility. But listen, beloved. Listen. In the Holy Scriptures, we've read of God's friendship with Abraham and Moses and David. And we've read in the New Covenant where our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ calls His beloved disciples, my friends, friends. So for us, for Christians, this idea of friendship with God is not a skeptical possibility. Not for us. Rather, friendship with God is a great ground of assurance for us. Well, he said I was his friend, and he's God. He knows what he's talking about. He knows me. He, he knows the, the ugly stuff, and he still said, he's my friend. I'm telling you, friend, it doesn't get much better than this. Friendship with God should be a great assurance to us because of what we know about friendship. God says, as the heaven is high above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And brethren, listen, though an earthly friend may fail us, though an earthly friend may disappoint us, God never will. And Christ appeals to this principle when He reminds us that even fallen earthly parents give give good things to their children, their children that they love. And Christ's point there is one of degree. He teaches that if fallen parents will do good to their children, then God who is not fallen, God who is perfect, will do much, much more for His children. And certainly Christ's principle applies here. We, you and I who are fallen, we do good things for our friends, don't we? We warn our friends of trouble. We help our friends. And when we can, we protect our friends from harm. (laughs) But listen, beloved, God is not a fallen friend. And God's power to help His friends is not limited 
I would pull you out of the ditch, but I, my truck's not four-wheel drive. Sorry, I can't help you. I'm limited to what I've got. God's not limited, friend. God is an altogether righteous friend, and God is a friend who is omnipotent. That's what it means to be the friend of God. It means that He, Almighty God, ultimately will not suffer His holy ones, His friends, to see corruption. It means that our ultimate salvation is safe and secure because an all-powerful friend guarantees it. Uh Oh, listen, what a blessed thing to be a friend of God. You see, beloved, God doesn't need friends. He has no needs. But by grace, He is friendly to us. And brothers and sisters, as I meditated on this idea of being a friend of God and thought of Abraham and Moses and David and the prophets and apostles and saints, I began to wonder. Think back for a moment to Aristotle's highest form of friendship. That friendship based on excellence, goodness, virtue. And we know that God is altogether excellent. And when He saves us, He comes and indwells us. But the excellence that we have isn't pure, is it? Until the consummation of our redemption, the excellence that we have is always tainted by our fallenness. So as I thought about these friends of God and thought about Aristotle's highest friendship, I wondered... What makes these men friends of God? Is there something special about them? And I have to admit that I was foiled for a little while. For a little while. Until I listened to the words of Jesus. Think with me. Anytime, remember, anytime we read the words of Jesus... It's important to remember that Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus is God in flesh. So when Jesus is speaking, if we have ears to hear, we are hearing the pure words of God. The writer to the Hebrews captured that idea beautifully when he wrote, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. So I said I was stymied until I remembered the words of Jesus. Those words we read a few minutes ago when we started. Jesus said, You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. John 15, 14. And listen, what I realized is that the most prominent characteristic of the friends of God, that's it. All of them were obedient. All of them were obedient. That's the foremost attribute. 
They were men and women who were obedient to God. I mean, think for a minute. Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and went out, not knowing whither he went. Hebrews 11. Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. When God said frog, he jumped. Moses obeyed God too. He may have had doubts. We know he had second thoughts. We know he wanted God to, oh, get somebody else. I'm not a good speaker. But when it got down to it, Moses obeyed. And he led the people of God out of bondage. And listen, Moses obeyed God meticulously. God told Moses, make sure that you make everything according to the pattern that I showed you when we were on the mountain together. And Moses did. He made everything just so. Exactly as God had showed him. And David, despite all his failures, he was the man after God's own heart. A great sinner. A great repenter. You're the man? Oh, me. I am. I am. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your spirit from me. I I sin. I want to stop. I don't want to do it anymore. Forgive me. Though he suffered for his sin, he obeyed God and followed Him all the days of his life. So it bears repeating, brothers and sisters, listen, the preeminent characteristic of God's friends is that they obey Him. Christ teaches that the ones who obey Him are the ones that love Him. So we can say the preeminent characteristic of God's friends are that they love and obey Him. And this is certainly the Christian view of a friendship between those who are not equals, like Aristotle spoke of. How does a child show love to a parent? Hmm? Well, a child shows love by honor and obedience. Right? A child shows love by honor and obedience. And listen, if that is true of fleshly children, it's true of the children of God. We show our love by honor and obedience. And the obedient are friends of God. We should not close without noting that most important grace which enabled Abraham, the father of our faith, and the friend of God, to be obedient to God. And you know what it is. It's the faith of God's elect. If you, if you read it there, I left it off before when I quoted from Hebrews chapter 11. But you know what the Scriptures say. By faith, Abraham when he was called to go out to a place which he should after receive for inheritance, went out not knowing whither he went. By faith, Abraham sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, 
By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. It was by faith, by faith, by faith that Abraham obeyed God. It was by faith that he was God's friend. And brothers and sisters in Christ, listen, let us rejoice. Let us rejoice that our great God, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in gracious kindness has condescended to call us friends. Friends. What a friend we have in Jesus. And friend, listen. If you're here today and you have not confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have not believed in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, then I exhort you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the best friend that any sinner could ever have. Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known to you. Please stand with me for prayer. If you need a friend, I know a good one. Let us pray. Creator, upholder and proprietor of all things, We cannot escape Thy presence and control, nor do we desire to do so. Our privilege is to be under the agency of Thy omnipotence, righteousness, wisdom, patience, mercy, and grace. For Thou art love with more than parental affection. We admire Thy goodness, stand in awe of Thy power, abase ourselves before Thy purity. It is the discovery of Thy goodness alone that can banish our fear, allure us into Thy presence, help us bewail and confess our sins. We review our past guilt and are conscious of present unworthiness, but we bless Thee that Thy steadfast love and attributes are essential to our happiness and hope. Thou hast witnessed to us Thy grace and mercy in the bounties of nature, in the fullness of Thy providence, in the revelations of Scripture, in the gift of Thy beloved Son, in the proclamation of the gospel of peace. Make us willing to be saved in Thy own way, perceiving nothing in ourselves, but all in Jesus. Help us not only to receive Him, but to walk in Him, depend upon Him, commune with Him, follow Him as dear children, imperfect, but still pressing forward, not complaining of labor, but valuing rest, not murmuring under trials, but thankful for our state. 
And by so doing, let us silence the ignorance of foolish men. Help us to rejoice in Thy Son. In Jesus' name, Amen.